and welcome to the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Josh Berger. And I'm Brian Lomax. And on today's episode, Josh and I are going to be discussing the different stages of a set. Not an entire match quite yet, because we'll, we'll get into some other situations with that. But we're going to talk about the different stages of a set and how a player can mentally prepare and handle those situations. Maybe be a little bit more mentally tough in these different stages of a set. So we hopefully we can successfully navigate all the way to the end. You know, when I think of, uh, you know, playing winning tennis, it's understanding how to get from zero to six before your opponent. Um, you know, and that really, uh, that's easier said than it is actually to do, right, Josh? Um, that's for sure. So before we get into the different stages of the set that we're going to go through, um, let's talk about first, what are the common challenges, you know, to, you know, navigating through a set? You know, talk about some of the things that you've seen in, you know, your career as a sports psych professional and even as a player. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um you know, a, a lot of players uh, get nervous or get anxious at, at different points in a match, whether that be, uh, you know, just sort of the, those first few games in a match um, or in a set where they really feel those butterflies. Maybe, you know, maybe that's something they've been feeling for the 20, 30 minutes before a match as well. But, um, you know, early in a match, that can definitely happen as well as, you know, later in a match, closing out a set. And I know we'll, we'll talk more about that, but uh, nervousness and anxiety are definitely, definitely a big one. Um, what about you, Brian? What's what's one of the big uh, challenges that you see? Well, I think to you know sort of extend what you said. You know, I think those nervous, the nerves and the anxiety are probably a result of we're, we're focused on results. Yep. Um, obviously, that means we're focused on something we can't necessarily control. Um, we also might be focused on what other people will think about us, probably because of a result, whether that be winning or losing, right? Um, and so the consequence, I think, on both is that now we've diverted some of our focus to something that we can't control. Um, I think another aspect, and we'll get into this, you know, when we're talking about being up a break and down a break, but this concept of loss aversion, where we tend to think a little bit more about what we have to lose than what we have to gain. Um, and it's not obviously 100-0 in terms of the ratio, but it's enough that that maybe we start to get a little bit more tentative and anxious. Um, I think, you know, we were discussing some things ahead of the time, ahead of uh, the episode. And one of the things that you brought up that I thought that was a really good common uh, challenge is this loss of intensity at times. And that can also be due to the scoreboard. Yep. Because we might be thinking, ah, I'm up 3-0, I'm up a break. Yeah, this is going to be easy. And then maybe not so much. You know, things, things can change. Right. No, I, I see that. I see that all the time. I mean, a player gets off to a hot start. Maybe they're up 3-0 and uh, you know, they're playing great. And then rather than sticking to what's been working, they take that foot off the gas. And then the next thing you know, the other player is broken back. It's 3-2 and it's, you know, it's a whole different, whole different match. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, uh, you know, reminding players when they're in that type of position to, to keep that intensity up, to, to keep that foot on the gas um, and to sort of stick with, stick with what's working. Yeah, and I think, you know, one aspect I'd like to talk about as we get into this is is what are we really trying to do on this sort of journey zero to six? You know, where is our focus? And I really believe that our focus needs to be much more 
on breaking the opponent down than anything else. You know, it has that focus has to be external to us. You know, we, we both know that once self-criticism comes into play, you know, then the focus goes back onto the individual player. Uh, if they start thinking about technique, then they start to lose trust in their abilities. You know, confidence goes down. Um, and I think that's another aspect of, you know, a common issue with, um, you know, navigating your way through a set is a loss of confidence, a loss of trust in your abilities. And I would say a different flavor of confidence would be in, in self-belief. Yep. So, you know, believing that you can win is a little bit different than trusting your shots. Um, and I think this is where, uh, you know, optimism is a really important positive emotion that tennis players need to have. You know, no matter what the score is, you have to feel like, you know, your best tennis is still in front of you. You have to feel like you're still in it, you know, as you're going through through these things. So I think we want to make sure that when we touch on each of these situations that we're make, we're helping people understand that the focus needs to be external and, you know, we're playing with purpose and the purpose of that is really to break down your opponents. So what are you, what are your thoughts on that, Josh? Is that, is that a philosophy that you use with players? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, breaking down, breaking down the opponent, opposing player, making, making life as difficult as possible. Yeah. For that player, um, I think it's also sort of a fine line, and uh, you know, can be challenging because you want to help players play their own game and play, you know, utilize their own strengths. Um, at the same time, you know, focusing on the opposing opponent's weaknesses and trying to um, make life as as difficult as possible for that opponent. So, um, being able to use your strengths against their weaknesses Correct. and. Yeah. Um, as, as you said, you know, at these different stages in a match to sort of have that external focus on, okay, what's, what's going on in this match right now? Who's sort of, who's doing what to who, rather than getting, you know, getting so focused internally on, you know, on a particular shot um, that maybe isn't working or the technique on that shot or, uh, you know, just the, the general frustrations that can come about in a, in a match. Um, so I, I, I definitely think that's that external focus in, you know, sort of a broad, bird's eye view is is really an important piece yeah and i think you you just prompted a thought in my head is that uh, a frequent thing that i hear from players is well i wasn't playing well you know and i hate to say it but that's fairly normal right you're not always going to play your best and in fact you probably most of the time won't play your best and that that's not an excuse to abandon you know that analysis part that you just talked about of trying to figure out who's doing what to whom and you know how do I change this equation when we get that type of self-criticism or we're so worried about not playing well tends to turn off the analytical parts of our brain and we're not able to actually see what's in front of us and we usually just end up continuing to play the same way which is a losing game usually no absolutely and I think uh you know, Brad Gilbert, who, uh, you know, his book Winning Ugly is certainly one of the uh, the tenets of how I view um, the sport of tennis. Uh, he says, you know, a few times a year, you're just going to be on fire. Nothing's going to stop you and, and you're going to win. You know, you probably won't need to utilize many of these mental skills um, because, you know, everything's working for you. All the stars are aligned. And then maybe a few times a year, nothing's working for you. And, you know, you can certainly try to utilize, you know, mental skills and it'll certainly give you a better chance but you know maybe 
maybe though on those few times a year, it's it might just not be your day. But the the rest of the time, maybe that's ninety percent of the time that's remaining. You you've got a chance. You're you're in it, and it's you know it's about figuring out the situation. Whether your shots, whether your you know your forehand or your backhand are um, you know feeling quite as good as you'd want them to be. You know you've got to work with what you have on that particular day and figure out the situation and realize that hey, maybe I don't need my absolute best stuff today to beat this person in front of me. I just need to be able to analyze the situation, recognize their strengths and weaknesses, and use my own strengths against their weaknesses in order to give myself the best possible chance. And I think that's one reason why the idea of playing as many practice matches or competitive matches as you can is, is uh, to me, that's really advisable. Um, because then you're putting yourself in those situations more and more often. You're gaining more experience. You understand how to handle them. You're, of course, going to fail at certain situations probably at first, but then you learn from that, and then you can make some adjustments and, and, and go forth from there. So um, and I, I guess I bring that up because I don't see necessarily everybody playing as many practice matches as they could. Um, in fact, you know some of the players I'm – work with now, they're only going to structured clinic practices and they're, yeah, you're getting some point play there, but, you know, as we're talking about these stages of the match, how do you replicate that in a, in a, you know, point play situation with four kids on the court? Um, very difficult. No, I, I absolutely. And I, I see the same, um, with players I work with, you know, I think, I think nowadays more and more players are, um, you know, they're, they're sticking to structured clinics and maybe they've uh you know i think it's less and less common for players to just call each other up and you know play practice sets and i think uh you know many of these situations whether it be closing out a set whether it be fighting back from being down a break um, or whatever it may be that ability to think back to those moments where you've done it before successfully where you know maybe you're playing in a tournament and two days before you're playing a practice set with your buddy and you were able to close that that set out. You served, you know, you had a good service game, and you were able to um, close the set out successfully. So being able to look back at, at those moments, what um, can really lead to a lot of confidence when when you really need it, when you're you know a little bit nervous trying to trying to serve the match out or the set out. Right, right, exactly. So let's um let's start getting into the the different stages of the match. So I think the ones that we're going to talk about today are. The beginning of the match and really into the first few games, kind of yep. treat all that together. Um, then we're going to talk about um, you know having a lead in the set or maybe being down. So you could be up a break or down a break, one of those. And then we'll talk about closing out the first set, okay. which I think we'll, maybe we can draw some parallels to closing out the match as well. But I think we wanted to stick with the set today because, quite frankly, some of the people who you know might be listening to this, um, maybe they're playing round robins and there's only one set. Yep. Um, or we could be thinking about um, doubles matches where if it's a junior tournament, just to eight. If it's in college, it's just one set to six. You know, so that's really quick. And so we'll we'll try to talk about some of those things as we go along. So, Josh, let's start, start off with um, the, the, the beginning of the match. What's sort of your best advice to help people navigate that stage and overcome some of those initial challenges that we have at the beginning of the match. Sure. So um, to me, one of the big things is not just coming into a match blind. 
So not just coming in and saying, okay, I, you know, my favorite shot is my forehand or my inside out forehand, and I'm just going to be hitting that shot as much as possible. Um, but trying to think about, uh, you know, your opponent, think about the other side of the net. Um, maybe this is a player you've played before. Maybe this is a player you've seen or you've heard about, or maybe it's just something that you noticed during the warm-up. So trying to notice those weaknesses, you know, during those warm during that warm-up, even if it's just a five-minute warm-up before the match, you know, making him hit different types of shots, seeing what type of shots trouble him, him or her. Um, so noticing those weaknesses um, and then testing, testing them those first few games of the match. Um, so that's, that's the one thing, you know, trying to notice those weaknesses and, you know, test them. Also, um, I think a big point, a big point is not to be too, too aggressive right off the bat. I often see players, you know, maybe they're aggressive um, players that like to attack and, you know, before they really find that rhythm in the match, they've, you know, within those first few games, they've maybe made eight unforced errors. And it's, you know, what's what's going on? They're, they're trying to go for their shots and they're trying to play their game, but they maybe start a little bit too fast. So I actually suggest the players often start a little bit slower, um, you know, starting maybe at 70, 80 percent, um, having a little bit bigger targets just from the beginning and not trying to make too many um, unforced errors. And then, you know, once you're a few games in, you've got your feet under you. You can, uh, you know, go to a more aggressive style of play if that's if that's how you like to play. What about what about you, Brian? The those first few games of the match, which can definitely definitely trip players up. Um, yeah. What are some of the things that that you you try to help players with? Well, I think it's, first of all is recognizing that you know if we're nervous, that's okay. Let's just yep. accept that, and it's actually nerves create some good energy, and it's about and and it, I think it comes from a good place. I think nerves initially are generated because we want to do well. Now that often then transforms into a you know thinking about all the negative outcomes, and that that tends to make it worse. But if we understand that we want to do well, then can we channel that focus into what we need to do to do well? Um, I feel like those first few games, I think there's a fine line between you kind of like what you said about maybe not being aggressive and, and minimizing errors because. I don't necessarily like to talk about errors because that's and even though maybe we have to, does that make the player more tentative yeah. at the beginning? So I think one of the things that we want to make sure that we're doing, because your advice is about getting that person to establish some rhythm and then yeah. they can open up their shots. I think we should be more actively working on how we feel in those first few games. So working on the breathing, working on loosening up our muscles um, so that we're not so tight on ground strokes um, and that maybe we find that rhythm a little bit faster. I like the idea of, you know, hitting, hitting to big targets or maybe you can even hit big to big targets, um, yep. you know, and, and maybe in those first couple of games, you do use some of your favorite shots because you probably feel a little less anxiety hitting some of those things. Um, then maybe you're not so favorite shot, you know. Um, so I think you establish a game, you know, by focusing on your targets. I, I I I like that aspect of things. I think if we can work on how we feel, and I think those first few games, it's a good idea to really set the tone and show the opponent how hard he or she is going to have to work 
if they want to win this match. I like that. Um, because depending on your level, right? I mean, so if you're, say, in the 12s or the 14s, and you set that tone, you can get a lot of players to just sort of involuntarily raise their hand and say, you know what, I'm not up for this. Yep. I'm not ready to work that hard to, to play this match. Um, and so I feel like we want to make sure that we are setting some tone like that. Um, you're, I, I love the idea of going through the warm-up and like probing and testing. I think that's great. I think that's actually something we could probably give players. Like, what are those probes and tests? Right? Maybe a few high balls to the backhand or the form, right? Both sides. Can you hit it low? How do they handle that? Maybe just move them a little bit. Just How do they to handle s- the slice? Yeah. All those things, right? So, yeah, part of the warm up is, of course, you getting yourself in a groove, but it's also, all right. What am I getting over here? Uh, we also don't want to get lulled into a false sense of security just because somebody's missing shots in the warm-up doesn't mean they're going to miss them in the match. I have made that mistake, <laughs> you know, feeling, oh, this this is not going to be so bad, and then the guy never misses that shot again. They're a hustler, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, what are your some th- what are some of your thoughts on 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 that? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, you touched on a big point of uh, you know player focusing on how you feel those for you know right in the beginning and. You know, we talked about how it's common for players to be night or, or tight or nervous, you know, right, right from the start. Um, I think it's, it's also helpful to, um, to talk to players and have them realize that even, even the best in the world, even the, the pros, you know, experience that and talk openly about how they, you know, how they're feeling nervous, feeling tight going into matches. You know, they've been doing this their whole lives. They're, they're making a, you know, a living at it. They've, uh, they're playing at the highest stages and they still feel those those feelings of uh, nervousness and anxiety. So I think you know having players recognize that it's a normal feeling, and also um, the fact that nervousness and excitement really are um, physiologically very, very similar. Yeah. So being able to shift some of that, um, shift some of those thoughts from "I'm so nervous," "I'm so you know tight," "Uh oh, this is you know this is going to be tough," which gets into that negative you know negative self talk, to be able to um, just say, Hey, this is, this is normal. I'm, you know, I'm a little bit tight and it's a big, something I'm really excited for. It's a big match, a great opportunity here. So how helping them, helping players to shift some of those thoughts and to, to see the match more as an opportunity and something that you're excited about rather than something that you're fearful of, um, to me is big, but, um, no, I, I agree, you know, using that warm up to, to probe and to test players, I think, uh, you know, a few high balls with some heavy spin or some uh, utilizing that slice, seeing how they uh, get, get low for the ball, seeing if they struggle with that or, you know, making them move, um, you know, one direction or the other, maybe some, some high volleys too during the warm up, seeing, sure. you know, j- j- just generally seeing what they struggle with and seeing, you know, how that can be exploited um, right off the bat. But, you know, sometimes somebody maybe is a little bit lackluster during the warm up, the sort of carelessly miss a few shots and maybe that won't happen during um, just the match. So, you know, just being aware of, you know, what you perceive to be a weakness and seeing if that actually plays out as the match gets started. Yeah. Good point about, you know, the pros too, because I think, um, I think in our first episode, you mentioned the Nadal team match. Did you not? Yep. I mean, for Rafael Nadal to lose a set six, Oh, 
Yeah, I mean, Dominic Team may have played great, but I think if we were to go back and watch the video of that, it's probably Nadal feeling the nerves yep. of that quarterfinal matchup, right? Similar to, I think, and I may have mentioned this, he lost the first set 6-1 to Roger Federer in one of the French Open finals. You know, And in both matches, what happened? He came back and, and won both of those. So, um, yeah, it happens to everybody, and it's not the end of the world if we don't get off to a good start, because that's certainly possible. That's, you know, we obviously would want to get off to a good start and get through some of these things and establish our game. Um, so let's maybe talk about the next stage, Josh, and, and maybe we'll say we didn't get off to a good start. How do we approach that? Sure. So let's say, uh, let's say you're down a break, right? So let's say, uh, you know, maybe you, maybe you go down three Oh and you're a serve, you're down a break, or maybe it's, you know, maybe it's just a one game difference, but if you're down a break, a couple of things that I like to think about are number one, um, just trying to be aware of the situation. We talked about, you know, who's doing what to who, or, you know, why, why am I down a break right now? Is it based on, you know, one service game that I have where maybe there are two double faults and I, you know, threw away a couple points. Maybe, uh, maybe the, the opponent has just really kept the pressure on, on me and I haven't been able to really keep up with that or, you know, match it with my own. Um, aggressive play um maybe you know maybe the all of the games so far have been really competitive and it's just come down to a couple deuce points here and there um or maybe you know so maybe whether it's uh you know certain errors that have been made um i think it's important to uh for a player to evaluate what's going on and to recognize is it is it the game plan that's wrong is it the game plan that that needs to be adjusted or is it the execution am i just you know have i do I have the right strategy and game plan going into this? I'm just not executing on on my shots. Um, so I think recognizing what's going on and then seeing if maybe the game plan has to be adjusted or if you just need to execute in a in a more effective way. Um, but I think also, you know, when you're when you're down, making sure that you keep your keep your chin up and not, you know, obviously easier said than done. Um, you know, I'm not gonna pretend that I've always you know always done that. But I think you know when players have a negative mindset and they're, you know, and they're angry and they're down a break, their chances of coming back are slim where if you can stay positive and focus on those things that you can control, like your strategy, like your attitude, then it makes the, the turnaround possible. So I think I would say, you know, the mindset is really important there. And then also just that awareness of um, recognizing what's going on in the match and why the score is the way it is. Yeah. Um, well, what about you? If, if, you know, well, a lot of what you said there, Josh, made me like one of the things we could be saying to ourselves is it's not a big deal. Yep. Right. You know, three, let's say it is three. Oh, three is not equal to six. You know, the only thing that is changing throughout a set as the score changes is the probability of who's going to win the set. You know, that, that that sort of that ratio changes. So, you know, the player who has three is more likely to win the set, but is not a sure thing, not a guarantee. There's no way to run out the clock in tennis. That's right. <laughs> you know, although that maybe that's coming with some of the newer things that have been happening during the pandemic. But, um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. So we're never at, uh, you know, 0% chance of coming back. So it's not a big deal. If, and if you can be believing that, and you've probably been down 3-0 before, right? You talked about past experience before and closing out things. You've probably come back from 3-0. And it's just a matter of settling yourself down, 
realizing what's going on in that match. And there could be a number of ways that we got to 3-0. And I think that sometimes is also part of the journey of, of getting from zero to six so that you can't replicate in a practice. Like if I were to say, hey, Josh, you and so-and-so go out and it's four all and just play the set out from four all. You know, it it somewhat matters uh, how we got to four all. You know, Absolutely. so if you were up four zero and now it's four four, you may be feeling differently than if it were on serve all the way, you know, or if you had been the one to come back, you know. Um, now, of course, as, you know, professionals in this line of business, we're going to try to ask people to not care how they got there, you know, to just go from you are where you are and, and so forth. But I think the more that um, we can understand that the set is not over, it's probably not a big deal. Um, and also, if we're, let's take that lens, Josh, where we're looking at the other side of the court. Mm-hmm. What might the opponent be thinking? Could they be relaxing a little bit here? Could they get a little bit tight? Maybe because they've, they have established a lead. And whether those things are necessarily true or not, they can help fuel us and make us feel better about you know, maybe increasing our, our effort level, um, our intensity level, um, and focusing on, you know, our game plan and getting back to exploiting that. Yeah, I, I think you bring up a great point, um, that awareness of, um, you know, what, what somebody on the other side is, the other side of the net is thinking. And I think uh, part of that just comes from playing more matches because if you have struggled closing out a match, and you're on the other side of that, and your opponent right now is at 5-3 or 5-4 trying to close that match out, you know that, hey, there's a good chance they're feeling nervous or tight right now because they know that if, I, if I'm able to break right now, we're, we're back, you know, back even, we're back on serve. So um, being able to you know, flip things in your head and not just think about your own perspective, of, oh, okay, I'm down, you know, he's, he or she is uh, closing, you know, tight, serving to close out the match right now, but recognizing, hey, they might be tight or, you know, if they're serving the match out or um, if it's 3-0, hey, they, it's very common for players to take the foot off the gas in that type of situation, right? So maybe this is an opportunity for me to uh, get, get myself back in this. So I think, um, you know, having that broader awareness of not just yourself, but of the, the other player and of the match as a whole and how, of the um, ups and downs of, of of the sport and how matches go where it's, you know, it's very rare for one player to just, um, you know, win three Oh, and then just, you know, steamroll the rest of the match. There generally are those back and forth, those up and downs. Um, so I think, yeah, being able to put yourself in that other player's shoes is, is huge. And I think that's one of the reasons that tennis is so difficult mentally is, and, and the famous, um, tennis journalist and broadcaster, Bud Collins, he used to refer to tennis as boxing without bloodshed. And it's a one-on-one sport. It's a fight, but it doesn't have the same sort of dire consequences of a, of a physical fight. And I was saying this to an athlete the other day. I said, you know, if you were in an actual fight, let's say, you know, Josh, you and I are boxing. Okay. And you throw a punch and you miss, do you stop and then criticize yourself in the middle of the ring. You're going to be in trouble if you do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be big trouble. But that's exactly what tennis players do. They, 
we're fighting this other person, but we're also fighting ourselves at that moment. Can we instead keep the focus, put ourselves in the shoes of the opponent a little bit more, understanding what they may be thinking and then using that information against them? No, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a great, a great comparison. I think, uh, you know, to, to go back to that, if you're, if you're fighting yourself the whole time, if every time you miss a shot, you're beating yourself up or you're throwing your racket or, you know, insulting your, Oh, my backhand is the worst. Then it's, it's, there's two opponents out there. There's your opponent on the other side of the net and yourself that you have to deal with where if you can, uh, you know, get past that and just, you know, work diligently on defeating the person on the other side of the net, then you're going to have a much easier time than having to combat yourself um, at this at the same exact time. Yeah. And then there are some matches, it's, you know, the person or doubles team that beat themselves up the least that wins. And, um, yeah. So let's talk about now about, about being um, having a lead of a break. I'll go first this time. Um, so I think, you know, if I'm, if I'm counseling somebody who's, who's up a break – um, number one, this is a good thing, but you haven't won anything yet. So just because you're up 3-0, again, three doesn't equal six, so let's not pretend that it does. Um, and we got to make sure that we are staying focused on our opponent and continuing to break that person down. We have to. Uh, this is where I think having a really good knowledge of the tennis scoring system is important. Um, we ha- we we are trying to get to six. So three is just getting us there, right? Points and, and games are a means to an end. The, the end is getting to six. We've got to realize we haven't won anything yet. We've got to keep them uncomfortable. Obviously, whatever we're doing is working. This is not a time to change what we're doing. This is a time for the opponent to figure some things out. Now, I think at certain stages, especially as we get used to playing this stage, and, and, and maybe we're nervous, is let's slow things down a little bit. Let's bring our focus back to what we want to do. Let's be deliberate in that game. So let's say it's 3-0 and I'm serving, or I'm my, the player I'm working with is serving. I might counsel them to say, all right, let's slow it down here. Let's stay focused on what's been working. Go through your routine. Make sure you've got a plan for every point. Because what what often happens after a break, you know this, Josh, is that the player gets broken back. They might be a little bit too happy or relaxed with what just happened by getting that break. Um, So I think this is a good moment to reset, settle things down, and let's play a good, focused, deliberate game so that we can consolidate that break and and then go go up. When we talked about loss aversion before, I think this is what what can happen, is that if I'm up 3-0 or 4-1, the majority of my thoughts are going to avoiding 4-2 more so than wanting to get to 5-1. And it's not that 100% of my thoughts are on protecting the lead, but enough of them could be on that where I tighten up and start to, to, to lose focus on what I'm trying to do. Um, and so we've got to realize that that is a part of what happens in human beings. It's, it's, a, sort of, we, it's a natural thing that we do is we are always looking for the negative aspect of things and what we have to lose. But in tennis, this is not a life and death situation. We've got to realize, okay, that thought exists, but the goal here is not to 
avoid 4-2, the goal is to get to 5-1. So what are your thoughts on, on, on helping players when they're up a break? Yeah, I, I, I like the point that you made about um, rather than trying to protect against or being fearful of going from 4-1 to 4-2, thinking about the possibility of that opportunity of getting to 5-1, but, but also knowing that you know, likely the, the opponent's not just going to hand that to you. You're going to have to you know, play at a high level, which, which oftentimes comes from you know, sticking with the type of game plan or the, the type of play that, that got you to that point. Um, you know, recognizing why the score is the way that it is, which, you know, really comes from awareness of, of the match and what's been happening and sticking with, you know, a particular game plan or a particular shot that's, that's really been working. Uh, maybe it's that inside out forehand where you're, you're using your strength to really, you know, move the opponent around and break down their weakness. Um, so I, I think, uh, you know, I think that is really important, recognizing what's going on and sticking to whatever's been working. I think it's also um, critical that players keep the pressure on. I, I like to think of it as keeping the foot on the gas. Um, you know, we talked about how common it is for players to go from, you know, a three zero or being, you know, ahead in a, in a match to just giving it back. You know, when, when you break, you're most likely to be broken back right away. Yeah. Um, because I think oftentimes players get a little bit too comfortable and uh, rather than really thinking about, okay, this is what I have to do right now. What's, what's important now. They, they'll just, you know, they, they almost take it for granted um, that, you know, okay, I broke now. Okay. It's going to be, you know, I've got this under control. And as soon as you think that you let up a bit and the, it, everything becomes a lot more difficult because your opponent comes roaring back. So, uh, you know, keeping the pressure on is definitely important. Then also, um, you know, we talked about how important it is to see things from your opponent's perspective, right? So if you're up, you better realize that, hey, your opponent's not most of the time, not just going to be, you know, taking this lightly. They're, they're going to be fighting back. So they may be changing up their strategy they may be making adjustments. So um, you need to be ready for that. You need to be aware enough to recognize if they're making certain adjustments, um, because if they're making changes to their game, you're going to have to adjust to, um, to counter whatever they're doing. Maybe they're coming to the net a lot because they, you know, they, they think that that's um, a great adjustment that they can make, or, you know, maybe they're serving bigger, whatever, whatever's going on. You, you might need to, make adjustments to counter um, the changes that they're making in their game. Because if they say, okay, I'm down 3-0, if I keep doing what I'm doing, I'm, you know, it's going to be 6-0, then they're likely to change up what they're doing. So I think being aware of, of those changes and being ready to adapt to, to whatever the opponent throws at you. Is- and I, th- I think you're, what you were just saying there really prompted a thought about the dynamic between the two players, right? So for example, Josh... How many times have you come across maybe a parent who says, you know, my kid is really good at coming back from being down 5-1 or 5-2? All the time. <laughs> All the time. And, and I'm, I listen to these things and it's like, you know, they're giving 100% credit to their child, yep. you know, for, for overcoming that deficit. But we both know, and it's just what we were talking about, right, with loss aversion, You've got one player who's up 5-2 who is thinking about what he has to lose or she has to lose, and the other player has nothing to lose. So they start to be more free with their body. They let their shots go, and all of a sudden, the, those dynamics, they, they, they interlock there, and they create 
a comeback for the player who was down. And I think the more that we as players understand these dynamics, the more awareness we have about that, the better we can um, handle them when we're in those moments. Yep. So we've now reached the end of the set. Somebody's going to close it out here. Or maybe we're in a tiebreaker, but we'll, we'll say somebody's going to close out this set. Um, what are some things that you have players focus on and think about as they get into this? And maybe also if it's different for doubles, talk about that. Yeah, well, definitely, you know, definitely is different for doubles. Um, you know, we talked about how doubles can be a lot shorter, where rather than playing two out of three, you're playing an eight-game pro set or maybe even just a set in, in college. Um, but I think I think what's important generally is at the end of a set to um, – a couple things. To, to evaluate what, what happened this past set. Um, and then really, especially if you're on the losing side of it, to be able to reset and put it behind you. If you're, you know, starting off the next set, still thinking about or still upset about something that happened 15 minutes ago, um, you know, maybe you were on serve and then you got, you know, you played a, a sort of a sloppy service game and you got broken and then uh, your opponent was able to just keep their serve and you lost the set and you're still thinking back to that service game. Oh, why did I go for such a big second serve and break point? I, you know, I double faulted, threw that away. So if you're still thinking about that as the next set starts, you're going to, you're going to be in trouble. So I, being able to reset sometimes, honestly, as some simple as just going to the bathroom, as simple as, you know, walking away from the court for a couple minutes, going to the bathroom, reset. Sometimes some players like to, um, you know, put on a new shirt, new pair of socks, even um, some, something that symbolically says to yourself that, you know, it's a, it's a new situation um, where you can move on, um, I, I think is huge. You know, sometimes it's that little sim- something symbolic that you need. Sometimes, you know, it's a little bit of, of breathing where you can, you know, m- maintain control of, uh, you know, of the present moment rather than constantly looking, you know, looking back. So I think, um, you know, being aware of what happened, but um, especially if you're on the losing side of things, being able to put it behind you, where alternatively, if you're on the... Um, on on the winning side um really you know keeping that foot on the gas really focusing on the the start of the next set making sure that you get out you know really trying to get off to a a strong start um because knowing that if you won that first set and you can get off to a strong start in the next set you know number one your opponent could just fold yeah and number two it's you know it's going to position you a lot better so really you know focusing on coming out with a lot of intensity to start that that next set yeah, I agree. Um, I think that beginning of the second set or the next set, whichever second or third, is is one of the critical moments of a match. Yep. Um, and I think in both situations, you know, whether you've won the first set or lost the first set, um, those first few games of the second set could really be used to break your opponent mentally. You know, so if you won it and you get off to a great start, maybe they tap out. You know. Um, if you lost it and you get off to a great start, now your opponent may be thinking, oh, why is she playing better now? You know, now I'm going to have to play a third set. You know, then you start to create some of these negative thoughts in your opponent. So really there's an opportunity to break your opponent either way. 
Um, but I think the the idea here is you've got to come out with a lot of energy and intensity and motivation and realize you're not out of it. One set is nothing. You know, we just talked about Nadal losing sets 6-0 and 6-1, but coming back to win matches. Sometimes the hardest sets to lose are the close ones, but that just shows you how close you are. You know? Absolutely. No, I think, uh, and again, that's why it's so important to be able to put, you know, let, let's say you lost that set in, in a tiebreak, 7-6, yeah. or it was, you know, 7-5 and you got broken, you know, 5-all, or, or whatever it may be, being able to put it behind you. Um, I also really liked what you said about um, a little bit earlier um, as the start of the match, and I think this applies the same to towards the start of the second set, to um, how you play those first few games really sends a message to your opponent. Yeah. So, you know, if you... If let's say you let's say you lost that first set in a close, you know, a close way, six four, seven five, seven six, um, but you you come out firing the beginning of this next set, your opponent's going to say, "Hey, I know I I know I won that first set, but I this is this is going to be a tough battle. They, you know, they're coming out hot, they're they're coming out firing. They're not just going to you know give this to me. I I really need to uh, to buckle down. It's going to be it's going to be quite a fight. So I think you're uh, you're right that you're really you know. Right in the beginning, you want to be sending that message, and you, uh, you know, those first few games can really swing a match either way. But also, if you know if it's not going your way, having the the broad pers- broad enough perspective to recognize that the match isn't over just because I, you know, just because I get off to a slow start in the second set or the third set or whatever it may be. Yeah, I think you know if if we have won the first set, um, one attitude that we want to have is we've got to expect the opponent to play better. Yep. And so that maybe gets back to that relaxation piece is, all right, we've won one set. We haven't won the match yet. We haven't won anything. We've just won one set. Um, If I expect that player to play better, then I'm more prepared if he or she does. Right. You're not going to not expecting that. Then I can get surprised. Yep. If you're expecting them to, to play better, you're gonna, you're expecting it to be tough. You're not going to take your foot off the gas and right. you know let up on your intensity. You're expecting them to you know make more shots or maybe change up their um, game plan to something more effective. And it reminds you that you need to you know keep up a high level of tennis to to give yourself a best chance rather than just taking saying okay I won this first set you know. This you know this this has been fun, but uh, you know I've, I've cut this match. But it way where you start taking things for granted. But it it reminds you never to take you know never to take a match or even a, a single point for granted because you're expecting them to come in you know ready to fight. Yeah, let's go back a set uh, one stage and just talk about the that like closing out piece. So let's say Josh, you're you know even in your college coaching capacity, you've got a player. It's 5-4. You know, he or she is going to serve. What's the conversation like before that game? Yeah, I, I find from my experiences, I find, um, you know, this is this is a, a challenging moment, both from my own playing experiences and as well as with players that I've coached. Um, because I think oftentimes players will start thinking about the score and start thinking about the outcome and think, Okay, it's you know it's five two or it's five four. I just need to serve out this game and then I've got the set or then I've got the match. The match is over. Um, so I think helping players to to shift that focus um, from the outcome into the process into things that they can do that will give them the best possible chance. So if they're serving 
you know, maybe they need to um, take something off the serve and make more first serves. Maybe they, you know, if they've identified a certain weakness, you know, maybe the opponent's backhand return, they need to make sure that opponent is hitting as many backhand returns as possible. So focusing on a certain strategy or game plan is huge. Um, I think also reminding players to breathe, um, reminding players to stick to routines because you recognize that they will be feeling more anxiety, more pressure during those moments. Um, so, you know, reminding them to use the routines and to breathe is, is huge. And then um, I, I think also, uh, you know, reminding them and, you know, sometimes it's during the changeover, sometimes maybe it's even between points. Hey, one point at a time, don't, don't get ahead of yourself. Don't get ahead of yourself thinking, okay, I'm, you know, it's 15 love. I'm three points ahead of, you know, three points away from winning. No, we're going to focus on this point. What do we need to do this point? Where are we serving here? Where are we trying to return here? Um, another thing I've, you know, that, that I have found successful is actually flipping the score in your head. Some players, um, you know, maybe, you know, Brian, you mentioned, uh, you know, parents saying that uh, their, their child plays better when they're coming from behind, which, you know, I often find to be the case too. So, um, you know, many, many athletes I find do, do play better in those situations. So if they're in a situation where they have to close out a set or close out a match, if you can flip the score and say, Hey, it's not five, four, it's actually four five right now. And, you know, this is really an important game here to stay in this match or even it's not 40 love where it's match point. It's love 40 or it's, you know, 30, 40, where this is an important point here, but being able to sort of trick yourself, um, can, can actually, I find, release a lot of that tension and anxiety because you don't, you're not thinking that this, this one point or this one game is so important to finishing out the match. Yeah, um, yeah that's a good point. I mean, that may work for a lot of players. I think, I mean, I think generally for, for, for athletes, you know, not thinking too much about the score, you know, focusing on that process, things within their control is more important. But if, if that's not possible, then actually almost lying to yourself and uh, flipping that score in your head can be, a really effective strategy. Yeah, what yeah. What about you? When you've been, uh, you know, within college tennis or in your own experiences, um, you know, serving out a match or working with a player who's got to serve out a match, serve out a set. What What is that conversation like? What are some of the main points that you try to instill on that player? I think much of it is the same as you. What you said. I might use some different language. I might be talking about let's be deliberate. Yep. In this here, but I think it's the same thing. We're going one point at a time. We have a plan. For every point, we understand how we got here. Um, but I think, you know, when we're working with a team or an athlete over the course of months or years, one of the things that I try to um, develop with them is a, a sense of their identity as a good tennis player. And part of that identity might be around closing. So I might say, you know, if I'm coaching you, Josh, I might be like, all right, Josh, you're a closer. This is this is just what you do. That's just part of who you are. You know how to do this, right? And we would have worked on that mentality and that identity, you know, throughout the season so that, you know, when you get in this situation, it's not about, oh, what should I do? It's more about this is what I do because that's who I am. I'm a closer. Yep. What are your what are your thoughts on that? I know that you know you you like James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. He talks a lot about identity. It, it's true. No, I think, uh, you know, whatever, whatever you identify as or however you identify, you, you will, you know, you, you will pull, you will pull on that identity in those key moments when it's, 
you know, when you're serving for that match, you will remember all those conversations that you've had, um, you know, ab about how that's, how that's part of who you are, how, you know, closing is a, an important part of who I am. I've been doing this all season, you know, in the college, college situation, or if you're in a USTA team, you know, you can think back to those previous matches where you've been able to close successfully. But I agree. I think, uh, you know, from a sports psychology perspective, building that identity and, uh, you know, developing that identity over a period of time is so important that, you know, once you're in that situation, you don't, you know, you're less likely to tighten up. And because, you know, you've been there before and that's, that's who you are. Um, and I say, you know, I say less likely because, you know, I think, and I think we'll say it again and again, many of these things are easier said than done. You know, yeah. we see even the best in the world do tighten up at times, do, you know, struggle in some of those big moments at times. It does happen. It's never, you know, it's not like some of these things are fixed and you're never going to have to encounter them again. But the, the idea with sports psychology or mental skills training is that you're less likely to, um, to succumb to some of these feelings through um, establishing that identity as a closer, as somebody who, you know, is able to maintain their style and their level of tennis, even through those biggest moments in a match. And I think once you have an identity, you can also begin then to understand what the process or your systems are to, you know, support that identity. Yep. And once you understand, like, you know, this, all right, this is how I play effective tennis, then that's all I really need to do. Um, it's not going to guarantee you wins, but it's going to give you a chance. Right. You know, because what do we see happen when we people have mental challenges? They lose track of their process or they have no process. Yep. They have no system at all. When if we can be helping them understand what their process and their system is and just say, all right, okay, yeah, you're in that situation. Let's go back to what you do best. You know, understanding the situation, following your routines, working on your body language, your self-talk, and going to all those things and having them practice that. So it really becomes more part of who they are, their, their tennis DNA, their tennis identity. I think then it becomes easier to manage these situations because you have now built some experience into, into that. Does that make sense to you? Uh, absolutely. No, absolutely. I think... Uh... You know, as as that as that identity becomes established, and you're able to successfully um, perform in, in those moments over the course of of time, you're it just becomes it becomes easier and easier. And maybe you know, maybe there are moments in time where you know you do have chances to close out a match and you get broken, and you know then you know whatever maybe you win or end up losing on that particular day, but it's still part of your identity, part of who you are, and you've built certain processes, as you said, um, where that, th that help you to, to achieve that goal of being a, you know, of being a good closer. So maybe, you know, maybe you found that, you know, when you're serving out that set at five, four, if you can increase a little bit of pressure through serving and volleying a couple times in that game, that that is, you know, an effective way to, um, to, to be even more successful in that service game. Maybe if you're returning, um, you know, at five, four or in a tie break, and you find that, uh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe you find you get a little bit tight, a little bit tighter during some of those moments so that you find that rather than going for a big return, you're going to go to the chip and that that, you know, that just increases your 
your chances and your that you know gives you the best possible chance for success so i think that um you know you're right through through those experiences um you you figure out the pieces to the puzzle for that identity so if your identity is as a closer you figure out the best method to close over time over experience and i think that's also you know going back to something we were talking about before you know playing those practice sets right so if yeah. the only time you're uh, you're competing is when it when uh, you know when it really counts when you're playing for your utr or when you're playing for your team or university or high school or whatever it may be the only time you're competing are in those moments then you don't have as much to draw from but if you're competing multiple times a week outside of those situations then you have so many more data points to really draw from so i I, I totally agree. You know, I think you, I think those, that's a skill that's built over time. And I think the more that you get out there and compete and sometimes you'll be successful and sometimes you won't be successful. That's right. But it, it's just more that, that um, it's, it's built on. And I think, you know, let's say I'm playing that five, four game and I follow my systems and my process, you know, to a T and I lose that game. Yep. I, I can feel okay about that because I did what I could you know, to win that game, as opposed to this 5-4 situation where I got away from, you know, my my best process and I didn't do my routines and, you know, I'm, I'm going to be much more upset about that because I, I, I basically gave control away of like the things that I do, you know, my routines and my habits on the court. So I think as players begin to develop their mental skills and their mental toughness, this idea of knowing their own systems and process or developing those, you know, which should be inclusive of routines and rituals on the court, off the court, changeovers, et cetera. Um, once that's more established, then, then you have like a foundation that you can build on and, and, and become an even better or more mentally tough player, in my opinion. Absolutely. No, I, I, I totally agree. I think, uh, yeah, over, over time, those, those get established. I think, you know, it's very rare for um, a player who's maybe just, just starting out um, playing tournaments to, to have, to have that clear identity because they just don't, don't have the experience. Um, But I I think over time, you know, you have a clear sense of who you are and what you do well and what helps you to, you know, close out those matches or to be, um, to, to be strong in those types of situations. So Josh, great discussion. And, um, yeah, we'll have more discussions like this on, on, on future episodes. We'll touch on, I think we decided we'll, we'll tackle maybe tiebreakers in the 10-point tiebreaker in a separate episode. We'll look at some more specific doubles, uh, mental approaches yep. in its own specific <laughs> episode, uh, You know, maybe th- talking about third sets as well. Um, I think this is a good opportunity you know, for those of you who are listening or watching um, – if you have some questions about what Josh and I just talked about uh, or want us to address other situations that we didn't talk about or other stages, send us an email at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. So um, that's it for today's episode. So Josh, thank you again. Um, as a reminder for everyone listening or watching, please subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice. Um, you can also watch all these episodes on YouTube. Like I said, uh, send us an email. Um, with questions or suggestions at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. Or similarly, you can use the hashtag uh, tennisiq on Twitter. 
Uh, we look forward to seeing you all in our next episode. Thank you.